Hello adventurers and good day to you. Welcome to the Starter Zone, your source for news about video games, esports, and more. I am your guide Amanda and I am going to be bringing you the headlines from all of the gaming news sources. So today we're going to take a look at some news about Friday the 13th the game, Disney's getting sued, Twitch is jumping on the backpedal train, and more. We're going to have a good time today, so gear up and we will get you started. Great news for fans of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge game. This game came out in 2022 and it was produced by Dot Emu, who is a French video game developer. So this game came out, it was huge commercial success, it was a critical success, and it was listed as the pinnacle of Dot Emu's work so far. It was colorful, it was a joyous brawler game, it captured the spirit of Konami arca arcade games, ladled in a whole mess of fan service, and was just a blast, especially on the co-op front. So yeah, okay, it relies heavily on the nostalgia, but yeah, who cares? It was successful. People loved it. So it almost seemed like the announcement of a DLC was going to be an inevitability. But now we actually have confirmation. They are going to be doing a what they call Dimension Hopping Multiverse DLC starring a samurai rabbit. If you're familiar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and similar comics, you might recognize who we're about to talk about. Usagi Yojimbo. He's been starring in his own comic book since 1984. And since we've already accepted the concept of Ninja Turtles being trained by a rat, it seems fair enough. Most of the trailer that was released for this DLC is showing off his OP-looking moveset. He goes slicing haplessly through the Foot Clan flunkies. The blurb of the trailer says the DLC will bring new playable fighters. Plural. So... Hopefully, we'll see more announcements closer to the release of the DLC. The DLC is going to be called Dimension Shellshock and shows Shredder seeking to conquer the multiverse itself. One of the other aspects that they're hyping up is the various character palette costume swaps. We're going to see some retro style sprites that kind of reminiscent of the older TMNT games. So the guess would be that the studio is going to push the nostalgia even further by having the turtles battle through some classic scenes from some of the older games. That's a total guess and it's pure speculation, but the PR saying that or our heroes are going to need to jump through dimensions kind of gives an indication that they're going to be revisiting some of the older material, which would be pretty cool. So they also revealed a new gaming mode. There's going to be some new music tracks coming out and various unlockable looks for the turtles. And this is going to be added free of charge for existing owners who don't want to buy the DLC. Um, Dimension Shellshock is on Steam as a wishlist item, although there's no current price, and the firm release date is just 2023. So we're looking maybe fourth quarter for this, but the fact that we're going to get the Samurai Rabbit is pretty awesome. But can we ninja kick the damn rabbit? Well, it is inevitable that all good things must come to an end. According to PCGamer.com, Friday the 13th, the game is finally going to die, but very, very slowly. The game will be removed from sale at the end of 2023, and it will completely stop working in 2024. 
Now, the Friday the 13th game has been a lot like a horror movie monster. No matter what's been done to it over the years, it just won't go away. But today, publisher Gun Media announced that the end is finally in sight. The license the company has held is going to expire December 31st of 2023, at which time it will no longer be offered for sale. According to Gun Media, they said, quote, the game will continue to function through at least December 31st, 2024, if you already own it. At this time, we've made the decision to reduce the price to $4 for the base game and $0.99 for each piece of DLC content. We will continue to offer the title and content at that price point right up until it's removed from the physical and digital storefronts on December 31st of 2023. Friday the 13th hasn't had a very smooth ride at all. And just like a supernaturally powered killer who gets shot, axed, set on fire, uh, but just keeps coming, the game has suffered through a multitude of issues over its surprisingly long life. And it really made a positive impression when it debuted back in 2017. Now, I didn't realize it had been out that long. I've lost track of time, but hey, surprise! The full release was plagued by persistent server issues and were worries that the developer had just abandoned the project completely in favor of something new. Now, those problems grew a lot more serious the following year when the content development was put on hold because of a legal dispute. And this is where it all kind of boils down is that there's been an ongoing problem with the legality of that license and, and who had permissions, that sort of thing. Um, the legal dispute over ownership of the Friday the 13th property. Not long after the dispute, further development was just completely canceled in its entirety. And in 2020, dedicated server functionality was dropped completely. But through it all, the game kept going and people kept playing. The peak concurrent player count in May, according to Steam charts, was 675. Not a lot, but considering how the game has progressed and how things have shut down, that's a pretty solid number, really. A lot of disappointment of people. I remember watching several streamers play this game. Uh, one legendary streamer in my household, Bikeman, I always look forward to hearing him yelling out dramatic leap as his character went through a window. Um, constant hilarity. And it always sucks when a game comes to an end. But seven years isn't really a bad run, considering what the game and the developers have actually gone through. And who knows, a year and a half is a lot of time. Maybe long enough for some modders to figure out a workaround? Mm, we'll see. But regardless of how that works out, the slow death of Friday the 13th doesn't signal the end of licensed multiplayer survival horror antics. Gun Media is now working on a very promising Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that's expected to be out Sometime later this year, I was able to see one of the tests of the game recently on several streams on Twitch.tv, and it was fun to watch. You've got multiple killers, multiple survivors, a lot of cool different things that they're trying to do in this asymmetrical game. So we're looking forward to seeing that, and I do believe that's coming out sometime around August of 2023. Really looking forward to that one. Now, interestingly enough, in an interview with Rely on Horror, 
Iconic horror composer Harry Manfredini has revealed that he's working on a new video game project. Now, this project has not yet been officially announced, but it is apparently a new Friday the 13th game, and it's completely separate to Gun Media's 2017 asymmetrical multiple-player horror title. This new game is going to be by a different studio and will feature, quote, more realistic-looking characters, unquote. He also mentioned that the game would be done in a different style to Friday the 13th, the game. And that's presumably referring to the other titles, asymmetrical style. Manfredini said he doesn't know any other details other than what elements he's involved in. So we're going to be looking out for more details whenever this project's officially announced. Now, as I said in the previous article, Friday the 13th, the game shut down the dedicated servers back in 2020. And the final update for that game was in 2021. So fans of this franchise are pretty excited to learn that there's a new game on the horizon. In other franchise news, though, a prequel TV series titled Crystal Lake is in the works, with A24 producing and Peacock will be streaming the series. So we're going to wait and see what happens to the iconic Jason and his victims. This next bit of news is coming from PC Gamer. And it is in response to a tweet from Doug Cockle. Doug Cockle is the voice of Geralt in CD Projekt Witcher's game trilogy. And apparently is a, an occasional drinking partner of the writers for PC Gamer. Good for y'all. Doug Cockle revealed on Twitter that he has full-blown prostate cancer. According to his tweet, says, I had no idea. Random check and boom, I have full-blown prostate cancer. Treatment ongoing, looking good so far. Men over 50, get a PSA test just in case. In response to this tweet, this has inspired a huge outpouring of support on social media. Fans of the Witcher series and the Witcher 3 subreddits are sending a lot of get well soon wishes and users on Twitter are rallying behind him too. One of the best bits of news from this announcement is that he has one of the most treatable versions of prostate cancer. John Hopkins, for instance, says that the overall prognosis for prostate cancer is among the best of all. And because most cases are caught relatively early and curable, the long-term prognosis for this cancer is actually quite encouraging. Now, Cockle hasn't commented further on the diagnosis, but his advice is correct and should be heeded. If you are a man over 50, get tested, you know, just in case. So here's something you didn't want to know, but hey, everybody should know. Did you know that headphones, wearing headphones on your head, can increase the bacteria that's in your ears? Just wearing headphones for an hour, 60 minutes, can increase the bacteria in your ears by 700 times. There you go. Don't know what you're going to do with that information, but I suggest you go uh, clean your ears. I just want to say thank you to GameSpot for this next article. College football players are being urged to boycott EA's upcoming CFB game by their union. The College Football Players Association has reportedly urged their college football players to boycott EA's upcoming revival of its long-running CFB franchise, college football, um, or hand egg, as some people want to call it. EA had a series of college football games that started back in 93 and it stopped in 2013 with the first official NCAA, the National Collegiate 
Athletics Association football title coming out in 1997. But the series stopped for this last decade, just due in large part because there were a lot of lawsuits and uncertainty. There's this whole big to-do about players were wanting compensation for the use of their likenesses in games and merchandise. But it wasn't until 2021 that the Supreme Court ruled a made a ruling and it was paving the way for these NCAA players to be compensated for the use of their name, image, and likeness. It was called the NIL. So here we have now this CFB game that's being produced by EA. This is being reported by sports outlets on three and Sportico that the cash pool for the college football athletes is in the neighborhood of $5 million. What does that translate to? About $500 per player in compensation for using their likeness in this upcoming game. Now, as currently constructed, this deal doesn't provide any royalties to the players either. Now, College Football Players Association representative Justin Falcinelli told On3 that, quote, all current players should boycott this deal and called it a simple cash grab, unquote. He also noted that the union had taken data from NFL players that suggested that their payouts from the Madden football series is in the range from $17,000 to about $28,000 per player appearing in those games. It's unclear what this might mean for the CFB revival. That's currently saying it's going to be released sometime in the summer of 2023, but there's no firm date on that. And as of the publication of this article, it's unclear exactly how the players themselves are feeling. Much as I mean, we know what the representatives are saying, but how the players are reacting, we don't know. Now, do we really believe that college football players should earn what an NFL players for being in the Madden series? No, because it's all about the marketability. It's about what these people are worth as far as their talent is. Are they, is this game even going to you know, bring in money? We're talking, this is a 10-year hiatus away from a college football game. And I don't know if the marketability is still there. Madden does really good numbers. How many people are truly going to be invested in a college football game? So it all remains to be seen. We're going to be awaiting to see when this game is supposed to actually come out, if development continues, what the Players Association continues to say, what the players are going to say. Just keep an eye out, and we're going to see how this controversy unfolds. Kotaku is currently reporting that the Upper Deck Company, the company that makes trading cards, you know, like the stuff we used to put in the spokes of our bicycles or trade in between classes at school. I was big on the Major League Baseball cards myself, is taking a new opponent to court. Now, because of its history, Upper Deck has become known as a litigious company. They're going to file lawsuits. And apparently, um, they have been in multiple lawsuits regarding like Konami. Um, Konami took them to court. Upper Deck admitted that they were counterfeiting Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and they ended up having to settle out of court to uh, deal with the damages. The MLB, Major League Baseball, filed a federal lawsuit against Upper Deck as well, accusing them of trademark infringement and illegally selling cards that feature official team logos and uniforms. Um, Upper Deck owes the league uh, $2.4 million, I think, and then kind of kind of goes on and on and on. Well, now they've decided to take on the House of Mouse themselves. That's right. 
Disney's card game is getting sued for allegedly copying a rival's design. The Upper Deck Company is accusing Disney of theft of intellectual property. Okay, I didn't know that Disney had a card game coming out. This is cool. It's called Lorcana. So with the release of Lorcana, Disney's upcoming collectible card game, it's now in jeopardy because Upper Deck has issued a class action lawsuit against Lorcana's publisher, Ravensburger, accusing one of the game's designers of intellectual property theft. Lorcana was first announced back in 2022, and it's a new competitive card game where, similar to what they do with the mythical characters in Beasts of Magic the Gathering, players can battle each other with cards of iconic characters from like Frozen or Aladdin. Now, Lorcana is supposed to be coming out August 18th, but Upper Deck is asking a California Superior Judge to prevent the release of Lorcana and is saying co-designer Ryan Miller, who previously worked on a game that even hasn't been released yet for Upper Deck called Rush of I-Core. They're saying Miller took core aspects of that game's designs and concepts to go to Disney to make Lorcana. Quote, rather than allow Miller to honor the agreements and their terms, Upper Deck is informed and believes that Ravensburger induced and intended for Miller to breach his obligations so that they could capitalize on Miller's knowledge of the elements of the Rush of Icor to game to make a near identical game for it. This is according to the complaint filed with the court. Also reads, quote, This allowed Ravensburger to gain a competitive advantage, an accelerated launch, and bring a nearly identical trading card game to market under a different brand. Unquote. So in the lawsuit, Upper Deck is demanding punitive damages. Um, and in a press release, the president of Upper Deck stressed the importance of the lawsuit, saying it protects the intellectual property of both Upper Deck and all of its licensors. We want gamers and fans to continue enjoying and having access to unique, innovative, and immersive trading card games. We encourage competition in this industry, but we also strongly believe in playing by the rules to ensure the gaming community benefits from the different creative choices by each manufacturer. Kotaku has reached out to Ravensburger and Upper Deck for comment, but as of the time the article was released, there's been no response yet. So we're going to see what they say, how this case goes. Will it be one more that's settled out of court? Will it be just one more mark that Upper Deck has to pay for damages? Or, or is Disney actually going to have to pay damages on this one? So we'll see what the court says. Keep an eye on this one. Otherwise, we may actually see Lorcana come out into all the stores August 18th. Developers of the game The Day Before is insisting that their Steam page will return soon and are now revealing new gameplay details. This is according to IGN that The Day Before developer Fantastic has insisted that their Steam page, which was removed in January of 2023 over a trademark dispute, will come back online soon. Fantastic spoke to Well Played and claimed, quote, it was the first to start using this name related to the video game and says that it's optimistic about regaining our name through legal proceedings as swiftly as possible, unquote. Though it didn't give a timeline for this, despite the day before set to launch in just five months, currently scheduled for November the 10th, Fantastic is insisting the Steam page is coming back. Now, the day before was removed from Steam after the developers of a 2010 countdown app of the same name found out about the video game. 
Fantastic postponed the day before's release date as a result, but later told IGN that they'd planned to delay it regardless. Now, new gameplay details were also shared during the interview. Fantastic revealed that players are going to be able to take on in-game jobs. Quote, these in-game jobs range across various professions. You can be a manual laborer, you can be a loader, you can showcase artistic talent as a musician. These jobs will add another layer of the realism and the immersion to the game that they're shooting for. They did release a 30-second gameplay video alongside the interview, and it showed a player driving a Lamborghini-style car through an abandoned city. The day before has had a very long and complex development process. They've had two delays so far. But Fantastic has promised November 10th that it's its absolute final release date. And a beta is set to take place between now and launch day. A report from Desherto has revealed that Universal is reportedly closing a deal to make the Legend of Zelda movie. This could be exciting or it could be very disappointing. Let's go. The Legend of Zelda movie could be the next big thing from Universal and Illumination following the huge success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. This report's coming from Jeff Snyder, who claims that the deal is close to official and is going to be costing the company quite a lot of money. Snyder says that this is due to the success of Mario, who has earned billions worldwide since its release. Now, a Zelda movie has long been a point of contention for fans over the years, with many worried that no studio can get the game right. This has been a concern for just about every single video game movie out there. When Sonic was released, you saw the the internet backlash over the Sonic model that forced the studio to redesign him and push it back. Um, We've had the failures of like Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That was a cheese movie and the original Super Mario Brothers movie from the 90s. But the new Super Mario Brothers movie and the success of Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 have proven that with the right studio, the right writing and hearts in the right place, we could have an amazing video game movie. Now, that being said, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom creators have been very vocal about wanting to see a movie in the Hyrule universe. Tears of the Kingdom producers and the directors have said that they would be interested in seeing it happen. But we'll have to see what the future holds. And the question is, after the star-studded Mario casting, who's going to end up being the voice for Link? Is there a voice for Link? Or are we going to see an AI-created voice for Link? It remains to be seen, but we're going to be curious and we'll be cautiously excited to see what they could do for a Legends of Zelda movie. Our next report has multiple sources. We're going to be looking at Desherto, and we're also going to be looking at Twitch's official Twitter feed. Now, Twitch has been under fire for the last several days for a couple of different things. As a reminder, as we talked last time, Twitch had updated their branded content policy a few days ago. It was very restrictive, and, and streamers immediately backlashed on them. It was really bad to see, and this happened in a matter of hours. They were restricting what kind of ads could be put up on the screen during their streams, how big the ads could be. They had size restrictions. Um, And they clarified after some complaints that the policy was intended to prohibit third-party ad networks from selling burned-in video and display ads on Twitch consistent with other services. Okay, kind of makes sense a little bit, but it really, really went too far. And people just 
started bashing Ninja got in on it. Asmongold condemned them for it. Uh, one group, OTK, was even slightly hinting that they were willing to leave uh, Twitch and go somewhere else if this policy remained into effect. And it even got so bad that the CEO of Twitch felt he had to come out and apologize. It was just so controversial. Well, they ended up jumping on what I call the backpedal train, and they decided, you know what? Too much backlash, not worth it. And so they released a statement the day after that they had released the new branded content guidelines that impacted streamers' ability to work with sponsors to increase income from streaming. And But they decided the guidelines were bad for the streamers and bad for Twitch. And so they said, yeah, we're just going to remove it completely. So, oh yeah, here's this new content policy. Oops, we messed up. Drops it completely. But it didn't stop there. So that was bad enough. Now there's also another slight controversy. And it has to do with their violation of community guidelines that they have a history of never exactly explaining what violations a streamer commits when they get banned. So with all this controversy looming, here comes this streamer by the name of Cardboard Cowboy. Very cool channel. If you ever get check him out, he's from Australia. He's got this avatar on screen of it's his face in a, a cardboard cowboy outfit, big tall hat and everything. Very chill guy, liked seeing his stuff. But he's apparently been banned from Twitch for streaming music. He has created a new channel that was called Cardboard Cowboy Lo-Fi. Literally just a music streaming channel. And he was banned for it because he was playing copywritten music. The catch, he owns the rights to the music. It's his music. So why can't he play his own music on his channel? Well, he naturally appealed the ban to plead and plead his case going, guys, this is my music. And they rejected his case. The contents of the email that he received didn't explain why the appeal was rejected. It just informed Cowboy that he would remain suspended for, quote, violation of community guidelines, unquote. He stated, what exactly was the violation? What do I need to change to not violate the TOS? There has been zero discourse with me about why my appeal was denied. Just this confusing email. It would really help if you could... Be clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it, unquote. This was a direct tweet to Twitch to say, hey, help me out here. Um, And to even try to help out, Ludwig gets involved and responded to the tweet by tagging Twitch as well and asking, hey, please help. What they ended up doing is not getting a response back from Twitch. They said, okay, you know what? Forget it. He moved his his lo-fi streaming channel to YouTube. So Cardboard Cowboy may still be on Twitch, but his lo-fi channel is on YouTube. And as he says, it will stay there until further notice. This is dependent on when Twitch clears the ban. He was told it was a 48-hour ban, but that still remains to be seen if they're even going to let it come back, especially after they banned and they said the appeal was denied. Um, The the channel was a 24-7 music channel. He owns 100% of the rights. To the music, 100% rights to the visuals that are on there. And Twitch said, no, you're running a music channel and you need to sign a contract to prove that he owns the rights. He has that. He reached out to them for the contract and then they just respond and say, you know what, you're actually indefinitely banned and no reason behind it. So once again, 
Twitch is retracting a very controversial policy about their ads, but yet they're continuing to make the same mistakes over and over and over by not communicating with their streamers when their streamers, quote, make a mistake. They don't give them a chance to rectify it. And so here you have someone who is considering moving his entire content to another platform because they're not getting fair treatment at Twitch. If Twitch isn't careful, and this is just my opinion, Twitch is probably going to start seeing more and more people jump ship. They've already lost people like big streamers like Ninja. Uh, they're going to see a lot more of this exodus as more and more of these policies attempt to come out. Um, as of right now, I don't know if anybody's actually left as a result of the branded content policy, simply because they did reverse that change. But now streamers are hyper aware that Twitch is just possibly going to drop this stuff on them with no notice whatsoever. So we're going to see what kind of repercussions that are going to show up in the next little bit. Um, and if this kind of stuff continues where you're just getting yourself banned for no valid reason, you can prove that this is my content, but they're not willing to listen. You know, what, what's going to happen? People going to leave Twitch and say, you know what, forget it. We're going to YouTube. We're going to Facebook. We'll go to Kick, which is the newer one. We don't know yet. We're going to, we're going to have to watch and see. It's just really sad to see a good responsible streamer doing the right thing, owning the rights to content and then being told, Nope, we're not going to let you you show it because you don't own the content. Yes, I do. No, you don't. We're going to ban you indefinitely now. Not a good look for Twitch. So let's see what happens. Publisher Paradox Interactive, publisher for the game Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, has finally come out with some information regarding the sequel, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. This is after years of silence. They finally revealed a few new screenshots to hint that this game is still in development, guys. This was supposed to have been released back in 2020. Bloodlines 2 was supposed to come out a couple of years ago. They actually announced it in 2019. Um, then they changed it, well, maybe in 2021. This is the sequel to the cult classic 2004 RPG, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. But they recognized that there was a lack of updates on the game's development. So they released a blog post, Par Paradox did. And the post indicated that the various editions in which the game finally becomes available may evolve from what they originally said. And that therefore anyone who wishes to may get a refund on existing pre-orders. That's right. Paradox is offering refunds for people that have, quote, sick of waiting years for the game to come out. At the end of the blog post, Paradox announced it would release more information about Bloodlines 2 sometime in December. So you still have a couple more months to see what's going to happen with this game, the continued development of the game. It's had trouble development since it started back in 2019. There were so many delays. They lost their head writer. The creative director left in 2020. Paradox later announced that Bloodlines 2 wasn't going to make the 2021 release date, alongside news that the developer, Hardsuit Labs, was no longer going to be involved with the project at all. So at the time, the publisher released a statement saying it would no longer be accepting any pre-orders for Bloodlines 2 because it just didn't have a new release date, and it just didn't seem fair. Well, now that they said, okay, it's still being worked on. We haven't forgot the project, but if y'all are tired of waiting, then we're going to go ahead and get you some refunds. Now, 
As part of their blog post, they did state, we acknowledge it was a long time ago that many of you pre-ordered Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. As development continues, we will be updating the game's additions and bonus content, and we want to provide the best value to those of you who supported us via a digital pre-order after all this time. So we are thus offering refunds to anyone who has pre-ordered any edition of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. As part of this process, we're proactively, proactively refunding all pre-orders of physical products, including the collector's edition. The digital versions of the First Blood edition, the Unsanctioned edition, and the Blood Moon edition will remain, but can be refunded if you choose to do so. So thank you to Paradox and as well as Kotaku for this update on the development of Bloodlines 2. Thank you to everyone here for joining me today. It's always more fun when you find a great group to travel with. This is also a personal invitation to check out our new episodes each week, and I'm really looking forward to see what kind of wild and crazy adventures pop up for Now, if you have any awesome stories you would like featured, if you have a weird fact that you just want to share with the world or just say hi, please email us at thestarterzone at gmail.com. Until next level, this has been Amanda in the Starter Zone. Good luck out there and have fun.